One is the loneliest number that you ever do. Doom, 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 doom. Two can be as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since number one. What a sad song. It's no good anymore since you went away. Pizza rolls. That was my time making rhymes of yesterday. Matthew Gideon, Captain, attached to the Earth Alliance Starship Excalibur. What do you want? To find a cure to the Drock Plague before it wipes out all life on Earth. Where are you going? Anywhere I have to. Who do you serve and who do you trust? Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 6.5. Chat Salon 5 presents Crusade Chats. My name is Alan, and if there is a purpose, if there is a design, if there is a way, after I am gone, I'll call to him. Say his name, send him a message, and you will know he was right. It's Magellan! <laughs> Hi! Hey, hey, hello! My favorite thing about doing those like really earnest intros is I kind of like act it out as if I'm an actor for a little bit and it okay. makes me want to like be in a play. <laughs> you should be in a play. How does one start? How do you just be like, I want to be in a play tomorrow? How do you even do that? Uh, you put it on, you produce it yourself. Ugh, that's a lot of work. All right. I'm going to do a podcast instead. How are you, Marge? We don't usually, I'm we haven't great. done a lot of like good banter at the beginning lately. I'm great. Let me try, let me look something up. Great comedic dialogues for two actors. Okay. And we'll just do a whole scene. Yeah, we're just going to do a scene from monologueblogger.com. Uh, let's just find a good, okay, how about, um, how about eating monster machine? Hmm. In this short comic scene, Bill complains to his friend Joel about his slob-like eating habits. Oh, I want to be Joel. Uh, who has the slob-like eating habits? Yes. Okay. Here we go. I am taking the script and I'm going to paste it uh, into our little message here. Grab Are we really that. doing this right now? This is... This is chats. Grab that. Go ahead, grab it. You can cut it out if you don't like it. It's long. <laughs> I'm Bill. Yeah, let's just find a natural stopping point. <laughs> okay, so Bill stares at his friend Joel, annoyed. Do you have it open? Yeah, I do. Don't you know how to eat a donut without being such an animal? This is how I like to eat. What? Oh, you nauseate me. This is why we don't go out to eat too often, because you're such a slob. You're really mean. Just eat the donut. You don't need to suck every finger on your hand. <laughs> Do that in the privacy of your own home. 
I wasn't sucking my fingers. I was licking my fingers. Licking your fingers? You call that licking? How do you how do you lick? I don't lick. <laughs> don't say that too loud. Stop acting weird. I'm not. Never in my life. Take it easy. I was enjoying my donut. I got into it. Yeah? You got into it? Do you have to moan and make slurpy sounds too? I didn't make no slurpy sounds. Yes, you did. Mm. Oh. Mm. Like you've never eaten food before. This is how I eat. What can I say? Is your whole family like that, though? Do you all eat like that? Seriously, I want to know. Oh, you've been to my house. You tell me. No, it's just you. So what? This is how I like to eat my food. The way I eat is what makes it so enjoyable. It's my own way. So you're telling me that you can't eat a single meal without making noises, slurping and licking your fingers? I don't know. I wasn't even aware of it until now. Hold on. Here. Eat my donut. I didn't touch it yet, and I challenge you to eat it without making a noise and no finger licking allowed. Do you think you can do that? Yeah. Do it then. The whole donut. No noise. Well, I'm going to make a noise when I chew. No noise. Like normal people, with your mouth closed. I want you to eat that donut completely silent, and I want to see. See what? Call it a science experiment. I want to see something. You're not going to tell me what it is you're seeing? Will you eat the donut? It's uncomfortable with you staring at me like that. You don't have to be so serious. It's a freaking donut. Just eat the donut. And scene. <laughs> Wait, no, there's more. Oh, there's know, too There's too much. <laughs> there's too funny. much more. Wait, let me just spoil the end. Yeah, please do. Uh, you got the We go to a diner and eat food together. Uh, yeah, it looks like it looks like you make noise. Yeah, of course I do. It would sound something like this. Yeah, he lets out a big, huge moan. And Bill says, you see, you son of a bitch. That's in there. Wow. This sucks. This is bad. This is bad. I'm sorry. bad script. Most other podcasts have a designated, like, two to five minutes of, like, friendly podcast banter at the beginning. We just read, like, a little chunk of a script that you found on Blogspot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We just did our season's worth of uh, banter. Yeah. Anyway, this is a podcast about Crusade, the spinoff to Babylon 5. We watch two episodes of it a week. Mm Mm-hmm. Which ones did we watch this week? Marge. Well, well, let me tell you, Marge. This week we watched The Path of Sorrows and Ruling from the Tomb. Uh, the first episode, I'm just going to do this. The first episode we watched this week was The Path of Star- of Sorrows, which is JMS Order Episode 9, Broadcast Order Episode 4, uh, and is on disc one of the DVD box set. It was written by J. Michael... Straczynski, directed by Michael Vehar. It aired the 30th of June, 1999, and it takes place in early June of 2267. Uh, Alan, what happened in the Path of Sorrows? Oh, I'm so glad you asked, because in this episode, man, on an unknown world rumored to be a place of healing, the crew finds an alien whose curative powers are emotional rather than physical, and who serves as a confessor for interstellar wayfarers. Magellan, what did you think of The Path of Sorrows? I thought that it was very, very good. Yeah? Very, very good. It was, for the first time, a Crusade episode that tried to be creepy and was creepy. 
Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, also gave us a lot of really good character development. I'm a sucker for that stuff. It honestly, between these two episodes, feels like we're getting a little telescopic zoom into a crusade that never existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this yep, is a show that's not that real. It's a show that's not real. It's a continuity that doesn't make any sense and can't make any sense, no matter how you make it, you try to configure it. And mm-hmm. we got these two really strong episodes that, and especially in the case of The Path of Sorrows, tells us everything we need to know about all of the main cast so far, except for uh, Dr. Chambers. But, you know, she's around. Well, and Max Eilerson, of course. True, but I feel like but Max is in the episode at the very least. He's just not. Yeah, he's man. he's being a fuckboy at, at the beginning for sure, for sure. As he was designed to be, yes. Uh, and <laughs> in the laboratory, yeah. Yep. Uh, and you know, it's it feels like a good sci-fi plot. It's a good JMS plot. It feels Babylon Five E, but a little bit Star Trekky, which is I think exactly the space where Crusade works. Uh, you know, pacing wise, it's a little wonky, but I think all of the little the flashbacks that we get are really good. This yeah, is it. I, agree. I think. My thing with Crusade now is it's kind of like shifted the window of what I consider good TV right now because mm-hmm. everything feels like it's in a different ballpark of the rest of television. But I think within the context of the show, within the stuff we've watched recently, this is definitely one of the better episodes. It certainly, uh, if it, you know, it's hard to know what curve to grade Crusade on. If you were yeah. to grade it on the curve of like, um, I don't know, I couldn't help but think of of Buffy as I sometimes do um, and how Buffy had a lot of episodes of like it, there's a thing that gives everybody a dream sequence and that's how we're going to do character development this episode, um, which that's what this is. And if you grade it on the curve of a show like Buffy or something else where it's like, Hey, this is our flashback episode where everybody gets a magical flashback. Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty good. And then if you're to grade it on the Babylon 5 curve of if this is is this a good episode in the Babylon 5 universe, I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I was trying yesterday, I looked at the first 13 episodes of Babylon 5 to try to get a feel for like, if this was it, if this was the whole show and there was no other Babylon 5, how would it compare to what we think about Crusade? Mm-hmm. My determination is that it's still better, <laughs> um, but there's some there's some clunkers in there. There's some real stinkers. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I think that this one is a pretty solid episode. Whether yeah. you're grading it on the the sort of like weird mirror universe that we're in, where Crusade exists, or even if you grade it up by like uh, Earth six one six standards. You nerd. You absolute chaos nerd. Turbo <laughs> nerd. King. We don't live in our 616, you guys. Yeah, come on. They've changed the continuity enough times. Well, also, that's the one where, from the comics. We don't live in the, There's no superheroes in our world. Oh, okay. Well, Magellan, <laughs> the way this episode <laughs> okay. opens up is a little off to me, or felt a little off. Uh, I think it's on purpose, though, yeah. where Galen is kind of being mean. Um, he's being sassy to Max, and he's being out, outright shitty to Darina. Um criticizing mm-hmm. her for her beliefs and for her actions uh which we realize later is i guess suppose is related to helping them get onto the path of sorrows mm-hmm. he says he needs her to have a, he needs everyone to have a genuine like sorrowful feeling in order for them to to let to make it on this pathway yeah that's how i that's how i understood that scene yeah that's correct that's that's what it is 
which is kind of a cool concept like be be mean to each other and and mean it and Galen especially has the ability to to pick at Darina and her faults in a way that not everyone else can because mm-hmm. around everyone else she's really I mean she's tough she's tough as nails she knows what she likes and she knows that but she she hates testosterone and all that stuff but uh with Galen it's like he just says she's shitty and she's like oh stop no because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean he's very powerful and smart and he knows her really well he's known her for a long time yeah and she respects him exactly yeah. Uh, like she says in that uh, that previous episode, continuity. Right. Uh, These two episodes make. I think this episode is a really good uh, test case for if the continuity that you're using works. Um, yeah. Yeah. The the crusade te- the crusade test. Yeah, and so this, it's interesting to think about this one as episode four, um, and it because it felt like the the galen Dorina moment that we got at the end of uh oh my gosh i don't even remember what that episode was but the one where he shows her the like security footage of her being like he's a cool guy oh the well of forever yep 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 um it really does feel like the well of forever comes before this moment good amount of parallels yeah go ahead well it's just because um Early Galen Dorina is like just very combative between the two of them. And then this moment is her being like, hey, I thought we were cool. So you kind of need the episode where they become cool before you can have this beat. Right, right, right. Uh, they, I already forgot what I was going to say. So instead I'm going to say, oh, yeah, lots of parallels between this and Wella Forever. Um, both of these being like a special area in space that Galen tries to get everybody to go to for mm-hmm. a specific purpose. Um, that is actually ultimately related to him. Um, we learned yeah, that this it, episode. Is it revealed what the reason was that they were there? I, I didn't capture that. In this one? Yeah. It seemed like he wanted to kill the, the alien. But is that, that like he was going out of his way to find it, to kill it? That I'm not 100% sure on. I know that's like what got them there, but what was the initial purpose of them coming here from him? I don't know. Yeah, like what did what did he think to f- he was going to find? Something about like a restorative place or a healing place or something? Or maybe he thought that the sort of questioning from the alien and the flashbacks were going, that was going to be the healing, which I think it is. It is, but I don't think that he thought that. I I don't think he knew the alien was there based on how okay. he was responding to it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm confused about. Right, because he's a little surprised at how it digs into his own brain. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, "What? I know what you are. What the? What the heck?" Um. So once the alien is brought onto the ship, the titular alien, kind of a cool design. It's in this big, uh, translucent orb. It's all cloudy yeah, it's a little, and little baby pilot from uh, Farscape. Yeah, exactly. It's got the little tentacles and like it it has all the hands and stuff. Um and it doesn't it speaks in subtitles, which is a beautiful language. Uh-huh. Uh, as Bong Joon-ho would tell you, it's, it's the 2-inch barrier. It's an international language, you could say. Right. <laughs> it's a 2-inch barrier to understanding all of cinema. Um it's it doesn't speak in any sort. I don't I like that it, there's no verbal speech. It's all just like Yeah, there's mental. no sound at all. Exactly. Yeah. Uh the way well, Siri thinks that there's sound. That's annoying. Um, I need to just turn that off at some point or figure out how to turn that off. But anyways, uh, the first person in our three, our trio of, of guys that gets flashbacks is Gideon, Matthew Gideon. Hey, Gideon. 
Uh, he looks inside the stasis bubble and he begins to have a flashback to the war. Um, the Shadow War specifically. This one seemed pretty straightforward to me. Just he sees a shadow ship uh, attack the like Earth uh, mm-hmm. destroyer that he was on. It's kind, kind of like of similar a, to the kind of a crazy shadow ship, by the way. Yeah, I don't think we've seen exactly this one before. Yeah, so I wonder if there were plans for there to be more detail or more of a reveal of like what that ship was because it seemed a little souped up like maybe it was a drock ship oh possible right that would be why he has a relationship to that um but as he is left in zero g the ship that he was sent here on is destroyed in front of him and once he's rescued nobody believes him uh is that the gist of his story yeah that's the first part of his flashback and he's saved by galen Oh, that's what it was. He's saved by Galen. You get to see them meet for the first time, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, and then he goes and tells his higher-ups, and they're like, was he a human? Like, we don't believe your story. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, guys, sure, sure. Um, And then the other part of his flashback we see is him winning the Apocalypse box in a game of cards. A game of cards that is not the cards that we've seen two separate cards of before. (laughs) Yeah, these are brand new space cards. I wonder uh, if anyone knows. I think they're my favorite. They have yes, easily. Um, the production designer's whole job is to find stuff like this. I don't know how if this is like a gag or something. Maybe it's like um, what's the card game in Kotor called? Pazak. Maybe it's like Pazak, where like the rules are different everywhere, so the cards look a little bit different everywhere you go. Maybe all I know is I want a deck of the cards that were in this episode. Yeah, uh, if somebody can find that, that Etsy link, cool. or just make them, or tell me how to make them. Help! Uh, I would love that. Um, <laughs> So the the thing with the first part is that they don't believe him, which and when they say like we're just gonna say it was it was human or whatever, suggests to me, which I thought this was a known fact, but now I'm not sure that the Earth government like was working with the shadows. Yeah, I I guess I'm not clear on when the I didn't realize it was during the Shadow War, but I guess that makes sense. Um, I thought they were asking if. Galen was human. Oh, you were just rescued by a human. Don't worry about technomages. Technomages, yeah. I don't know. It sounds like we don't have a strong grasp of the scene. But the the point is that we see the thing that we've we've heard hinted at before. Um when Gideon yelled at uh Lyndon Johnson about how he never leaves someone behind. Yes. And also Darina, this was like, he never leaves anyone behind, don't you know? And the alien was like, here's an echo of the thing you heard a scene ago about yourself. About how um, you left yourself, you were left behind. Yeah, so that's the moment that we see, and, and that's what matters. So, And I think it works better, again, continuity-wise, that this was hinted at prior, and then we see it. Like, this. this really feels like this episode belongs halfway, not halfway through the season, because the season would have been 20-something episodes, but a quarter of the way through the season or towards the halfway point where you sort of know who Gideon is and you have some questions about him. And then these flashbacks both answer your questions and don't uh, in a way that keeps you intrigued as the season goes on. And they present you with new questions too, which is good. Um. Yeah, I think that the the trauma of being left alone in space already scary. I mean, I still remember seeing Gravity for the first time in theaters and being like, "Ah, oh, my stomach is sinking." Just thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And they work around the effects limitations really well by just having it be from like behind Gideon and, and zoomed out mostly, which is really good, showing the scale. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, all the, the shadow stuff is like, wow, Shadow War is, is crazy. And then uh, the Apocalypse box, like you said, uh, he wins it in a game of cards. I genuinely thought this was going to be the game where he wins the codes. Me too. But who knows, continuity-wise, how that was supposed to work. Because then if this episode takes place, it, it was uh released or aired before the other one then that's really weird that he gets them and then says like all right time to reveal to you how i got the codes and like tells the story that's like a very weird this yeah, is the worked, order that it, that event was supposed to have that seems like it should have happened yeah it works it definitely works better as like we know that he's a gambler before we actually see a scene of him gambling and winning something Yes. Because then when and you see when you see him winning the Apocalypse box, you're like, oh, my God, it was the thing that he has, and he's gambling. Oh, I should have known he would have won it in a gambling game. Right. This is the C to the A to the B of the other ones. Yeah. Um, and then in a moment very reminiscent of, like, I guess Stephen King uh, or, like, any of that kind of horror stuff, uh, the guy who gives him the Apocalypse box uh dies in an alleyway outside and he says he's free from the box finally this is the only way for him to finally be free um he's so happy about it and Gideon's like i don't know what that means but i got a sick box and it tells me secrets Mm -hmm. clearly not going to be an issue at all in the future right this the super creepy thing the the creepiest thing of this whole episode is the overall sense that it's impossible to know who the good guy is or what the truth is and that's creepy when it comes to the box and it's creepy when it comes to the alien because when the when gideon wins the apocalypse bo- box from the guy he says hey be careful because it lies like not a lot but sometimes it lies enough times to be a huge problem you have no way of knowing if you can trust it but you're going to trust it and then at some point it's going to bite you in the ass. Right. That's, um, the, that's the Stephen Kingy thing is like this guy is telling him everything that's going to objectively happen. Mm-hmm. And he still takes it because he's like, not me, not this time. <laughs> right. It's also the sort of like Lovecraftian cosmic horror thing of this, this like ultra powerful thing does not care about you. And right. it's going it's just gonna to make predictions. It's going to take complete control of your life and drive you mad. And uh, it doesn't really, It nothing cares about you. The universe is cruel and it's going to crush you into dust. Nice. Fun. Yeah. And then the other the other thing that was creepy with relation to the, to the alien, and this is skipping Matheson, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, but when Galen goes to talk to it, he's like, hey, I, I know your deal. You're, you're not cool. You just feed off of sorrow. You make people feel bad. Because you can't feel bad, so you want to know what it's like. Right. That's messed up. I got your number, pal. And then the alien's like, no, no, no. I feed off forgiveness. So I forgive people, and that makes me taste good or whatever. Yeah, that you don't know not... if the alien's telling the truth or not. Right, exactly. And you, you, don't, you don't get to know. There's actually a moment in the second episode where I think the show's ability to like not give you every answer six is really good for it. It, it serves the plot really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
that covers the Gideon stuff. Uh, Matheson, we can talk about super quick. Basically, we are mid or per- probably later in the telepath war. Um, we have a young, fresh-faced John Matheson assigned to a special myth mission because he's such a good telepath boy. Um, at first, it seemed like he was going to be lethally injecting this rebel, um, but instead, she basically radicalizes him to communism and tells him that you're not <laughs> free under these people, under your... Yeah. Uh, under your ruler, Psychor is bad. You know that. You know they're bad, and you're still working for them. You can let me go, and I'll give you information, and we can, and you can escape. Uh, I was losing the focus here, but ostensibly, what happens is she has a homing device that she buried in her knee, and she mm-hmm. like slices it out, which they unfortunately don't show any of the blood. It's on like it's away from camera, but in her cell, she tells him secretly that. Uh, she has this homing device, and once she hits it, the rebels are going to nuke the base that he works and lives in. And in telling him, she's saying, you can get off, and you can use that, and you can tell people, and you can be helpful to the cause. Uh, or you can keep working for the bad people and, and mm-hmm. keep this information to yourself for the rest of your life. Matheson, yeah, go ahead. No, you just finished summarizing. I think you might answer my question. Uh, yeah, so he th- he thinks about this for a while, and he gets away with a ship, uh, a shuttle full of people and looks behind him as the facility is destroyed. Uh, the thing that get that hurts him about this and the reason it's his, it's the, his choice of flashback or it's the one that the alien chooses is he never told anyone. No one knows about this. He feels ashamed. He feels like he betrayed Psychor, but the alien forgives him. So ultimately he still has that sort of like faith and dedication to the core, even though he was like told a true thing that did happen. So that's I was confused. That's what he feels bad about that he let the Psychor thing be blown up. I think so. Because that's I a thought, lot of people. Yeah, I guess so. I, I don't know. I thought it was he had some sort of regret about like not saving her or something. I mean, I don't think he could realistically save her yeah. because she already has her, her mind set on doing this. Uh, maybe it's more a case of like, I thought about this and I never did anything about it and I still work for freaking Psychor. Yeah, like, well now he works for the military. True. But to like have somebody remove the wool from your eyes and be like, everything you know is bad and you still do it is like, that's something that'll eat at you for the rest of your life. Yeah. I think it just was uh, in terms of the way this was written. Either I didn't catch it or it wasn't 100% clear like what is the thing that haunts Matheson? Because I thought, I thought what would happen is he would kill her, and that would be the thing. That and he then he would feel bad? Yeah. Also makes sense. I mean, he, she does die in this moment, so you know he can also feel responsible for that, but I understood it as more like he feels like he betrayed the cause. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, I can. I think that's plausible. I, I just didn't fully come across, at least when I was watching it. I think more Crusade would have given us a bit more explanation for like Matheson's relationship to Psychor and authority because we know that he doesn't fully believe in it in the present day he talks in that episode where he was scanned about like this doesn't seem fair but we do it anyways it's the only way things can work all of that stuff but he's clearly begrudging about that yeah right um and speaking of grudges we get into our final flashback our man Galen the techno mage uh we know from the well of forever that he has a lover named Isabel, mm-hmm. uh, and it's him uh, standing over her bed as she's dying. Um, it's a very sad scene. It's a very, like, 
I, I guess Shakespearean is sort of a word, but more just like uh, melodramatic almost. Um, mm-hmm. I think the difference between melodramatic yeah. and theatrical is really it's a really thin line. Yes, uh, but she's telling him that like a bunch of poetic stuff about like learning to forgive God. Me being here is not your fault. And for the love of God, don't literally for the love of God, don't let your soul burn out, Galen, because I died. Don't blame this on you. Here's a here's a weird ordering continuity thing in the yeah. air, the broadcast order. The Well of Forever is the episode right before this. That makes so much more sense. So the Darina Galen bonding thing it comes right before this. And then, yeah, the Isabel stuff comes right before this. I kind of like for the pacing of the season for it to be broken up a little bit. Um, that they're not but, immediately after another. Yeah, but at least in both versions, that con- in terms of continuity, they're in order. These have to, yeah, exactly. These have to be in this order. Yeah. Um, and so what I think is cool about Galen's plot is, you know, religion is a big deal on Babylon Five, the TV show, and on mm-hmm. the on the station. Uh, and we hadn't really talked about faith and religion before these episodes uh, as much as we are here. Um, but his relationship to Isabel being like, hey, I know you're going to like go on like a vow and like join the techno mages and like ruin your life and like, you know, use all this magic to try to bring me back and you're going to go against like the Lord. But, you know, if there is a, she says, if there is a purpose, if there is a design, if there is a way, I'll call to you and you will know I was right. All that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, As like usual. I said at the beginning. As usual. Yeah. Um, he says he refuses to forgive God and the universe for taking the one thing that made life worth living. Uh, and as he says this, he warms up a fireball in his hand because like, he's just the mage part of Techno Mage. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he wants to kill the alien. And this is the part where Gideon's like, we can't. I know this thing is like nice and helpful for us. It's our therapist, but we can't uh, keep using it. It's We have to get it out of here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that I needed to see Galen and Isabel as yeah. a scene i think this was of the three maybe the least interesting to me mm-hmm. because uh, uh i don't know i th- i mean it, it, i think i got everything that i needed that this is telling me from the well of forever mm-hmm. and from him going out of his way to like visit the well and talk about her and stuff and then yeah like you were saying it it just reads as like Galen, my love. Oh, Isabel, my my dearest. You're dying. Blah blah blah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's it, it it's definitely rehashing stuff we already know about Galen. I I always want like more Galen stuff, but the the part that's more interesting to me about uh, from him in this episode is after they drop the alien pot off, we get a brief scene of it, like a new alien coming up to it. And I love that this this hopeless alien is just like do 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 oh yeah. big sphere, and it's like hey, come to me, my up? child. My name's Greg. I'm, I'm the Greg Sphere. I'm here to tell you about forgiveness. And then we get back to the present. We get back to our our uh, the Excalibur, and G- Galen has received a message from someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just addressed to him, and it's a bunch of garbled nonsense. The only words that they were able to make out were Galen. And love. And Aww. static. Heaven does exist in space. Heaven is a place not on Earth. 
<laughs> so it's one of those like, oh, was Isabel right? Like, was he finally got a sign that she's still around? Shouldn't he have this like coming to Jesus moment or like coming to faith moment? Uh, he does not, or at least he does not externally. He crumples up the paper uh, as the camera pans to the paper uh, falling to the ground as we fade out. What do you what do you read about that? How do you feel about that? I mean, I was yeah, I I, I was kind of confused about that moment and why mm-hmm. he responds in that way because i can understand why he was so angry about the alien like servicing that memory for him mm-hmm. but i don't i couldn't really understand why he was mad about getting a message from isabel why he would crumple it up and drop it on the floor that doesn't seem to line up given especially like if this comes after the well of forever where he goes through all this effort to get to get uh the crew to go to visit to drop her ashes off yeah to drop her ashes off like he he has such a fondness for her and such an attachment to her that receiving a message from her i don't know i mean maybe it challenges like his worldview and maybe he doesn't think it's real or he thinks someone's messing with him but even then it seems strange that he would crumple the paper and leave it in the middle of the hallway. So we'll never, <laughs> this is the problem. We'll never know the answer. We'll never get to watch Galen like re-reckon with this stuff. Yeah. yeah I think it, it, it can be question. as simple as like, this is his challenge moment and he doesn't, he fails it in the, in the present. He's like, nope, I am afraid of this. I don't want to believe this. I, I have to think someone's joking. I spent all my life working to, to, to help her, and now she's coming back from the grave telling me this. This has to be fake. I refuse to believe it. It's like, you know, basic. Yeah, I guess it has to be that. Like, biblical story sort of thing. Of like, the person doesn't believe until they have to believe or until they're challenged. And this is not his, like, he fails this challenge. Right, that's true. That's a good point. Um, but, yeah, it's something that could definitely be fleshed out if they got more show, which, alas, they did not uh magellan if do you have any stray notes about uh the path of sorrows uh no it was just generally pretty good i liked the big the big uh oh my gosh what are those called not fortune balls crystal balls i like the big crystal ball ball with the alien inside and i love i love flashback episodes i love episodes where characters take turns getting their character developed <laughs> so <laughs> uh this is pretty good and then the the there is some great max stuff at the beginning that uh you, we could always use more of when gideon's like hey did we find uh, whatever and max is like oh yeah i found it like several hours ago and i just didn't tell you <laughs> <laughs> anytime we can get just uh turbo sassy max uh, that's very happy for me. What I like about Max is that the show knows that he's fun, and mm-hmm. at least like if this was a show where the order was planned out, we would watch him get more time over, like more screen time over time. But instead, we kind of get that. But then sometimes, like, oh, he's not in this episode. Oh, he's actually the whole point of this episode, mm-hmm. um, because he's he's like the best part of the the next episode. Yeah. Uh, but uh, before. We don't have any emails this week because we are recording this one in a little weird of an order. Uh, So in that case, we'll we'll be right back after this musical break to discuss Ruling from the Tomb. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Chat Salon 5, Crusade Chats, Part 2. Hey, it's Magellan and Alan. Hey. 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 How you doing? Let's switch. You can be Magellan for this half. I'll be the switch for this one. Hey, guys. It's me. Oh, no, I can do a good Magellan impression. Check this out. Yeah, do it. Hey, hey guys. It's me, Magellan. Uh, Ooh. Ooh. Should we read the rest of the scene? Should we what? Read the rest of the scene? No, no. <laughs> I never want to look at that scene again. <laughs> Should we do a different one? We could do a different one, but we're on it. We're this podcast is already. Oh, this podcast short. Screw it. Get in here. Yeah, this Dude, this pod this podcast short. This podcast mad short. Give me episode. <laughs> this podcast short. Okay, so we. Uh, what did I search? Comedic dialogue. Yeah. Comedic di- Comedic dialogues for two people. Okay, so, and then I found this. All right, so let me give you some options. Okay. Let me give you some options. I'm just going to give you the names. There are 10 more besides the one we did, okay? Okay. Basket case. Okay. Sniff. Okay. Common practice. Okay. The handler. Okay. Shribble. Devil in man's eye. Less soap, more blood. Upon my return, little Petey and Harold's ear. I think it's got to be. Sl- was it slip? Slippy? Slip? Shribble? Shribble. Shribble. One woman, one man. In this short comic scene, Valerie and Frank discuss how their s- switch to going vegan has been working out. That's you know. Do you want to stick with Shribble or do you want to switch? I I want to be I want to be Valerie. I feel Valerie in me bones. Okay, I'm opening it up. I'll be I'll be Frank. Uh, <laughs> do you find it? No, you just said I'll be Frank. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. You don't you don't have to pretend it's funny if it's not funny. No, it is funny. Oh, I, thank you. But I thought it was funny the way that I said that's funny. Okay. All right. So. <laughs> oh to... my god! It's bad, guys. It's bad. I'm trying to figure out my Frank voice. Hey, yeah, okay. Hey, I got it. <laughs> Go ahead. You start. You start. Valerie's first. Isn't this incredible that we're both vegan? I can't believe we've actually gone vegan. Ben, please. I'm starving. Oh, come on. Just have some more salad. Salad? Yeah. You need to eat more plant foods, vegetables, and fruits. I'm starving, babe, all right? I feel like I've been eating leaves all day. Francis, stop it. It's only been three days. Three days, that's all? Yep. Hasn't it been a week already? I feel like I'm breaking some sort of record. Well, I'm proud of you. You're going to live a longer life. In misery. What? I gotta tell you, I'm ready to grab my bow and arrow and shoot down birds in the backyard. Ah, that's horrible. Tell me you're joking. I'm hungry. Been eating salad that don't even look like salad. It's leaves. It's baby spinach. Great. Baby spinach looks like baby tree leaves. What's next? Going outside and eating dirt? Ugh, you have no discipline. Discipline? I've got an entire week with... Three days. That's a week if you're Italian, and I feel like I'm shriveling up. Shriveling? What's a a shrivel? (laughs) Do you want want to let the audience have to answer that question? (laughs) No, 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 more, more, more. 
What if this is gonna be such a fun edit for me? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Shrivel. <laughs> I feel. I feel... <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel... <clears throat> I feel like I'm shriveling, getting smaller. Uh. Do you mean shriv- shriveling? Uh, same thing. Well, I'm so happy we're vegan. It's the most amazing thing. I feel light and healthy, and I'm already getting a glowing complexion. You too. You're starting to get rosy cheeks. Rosy cheeks? What rosy cheeks? You sure that's not a heart failure? No, no. You look more vibrant. You don't feel it? Honestly, you don't feel eat- like you have more oh, energy. Sorry. I'm sorry, babe. I need to eat protein to have strength. Let me get more chicken chicken peas then. It's It's called chickpeas, not chicken peas. It compensates for protein. You know, I can't believe how you go on. That's because you've been given horrible food to eat your whole life. No, it's because I've eaten meals where I've actually used a knife. You don't have to go vegan with me. I can do it by myself. I just wish there was more options, Val. We go to the store and it's not even an aisle. It's a shelf. One whole shelf out of an entire supermarket for a vegan. And it's all stuff that looks like it belongs on a late night infomercial. Oh, stop. Come on, the options are limited. Yesterday we ate what looked like hot dogs but tasted like inflated rover bands. Then you take coffee away from me and have me on this green tea and a man needs his coffee. It's polluting your brain. I love coffee and I won't stop drinking it. This green tea shit is going too far. I need steak and pasta and meatballs and cheese and... Pasta? You can have gluten-free pasta. What's that? I never heard of that brand. I only know Ronzoni. It's not a brand. It's a kind of food. Okay, look. Coffee and pasta is all I want. I'll stop eating meat, all right? I'll climb trees and eat leaves, but I need my pasta and I need my coffee. Otherwise, I'll kill someone. Um, all right. Deal. And scene, everyone. Oh, no. I like to imagine that Frank was aging every a year, every line. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was shriveling. I was trying to shrivel. Oh, he was shriveling. You're absolutely right. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, my God. That was so funny when he said shriveling. I love Frank. I want to be friends with Frank. Wow. Valerie's doing her best. Honestly, good on her. She deserves better. But, like, Frank... She does deserve better. You ladies, you don't need to stay with guys like this who are just <laughs> This is this is a cautionary just garbage tale. Men. I know just garbage men who refuse to change. Exactly. I know friends who are vegans and have gotten their partners to switch in. It's not it, it seems fine. Yeah. It, it seems totally fine. You know what else seems fine, Matellan? You. Oh my wait, hold on. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? It's, it's- Flashback to when we first met. Oh, hi, Frank. Nice to meet you. I'm hey, Valerie. Valerie. Hey, welcome to welcome to Frank's Steak Restaurant. Wow, I I don't eat steak. I mean, I just kind of came in here to ask if you could use your phone, but no, you do eat steak. This is the past. I know, but I was thinking maybe I should stop eating steak. So today's my first day as a vegetarian. Well, it's the first day of our relationship too. 
Anyway, you want to come back to my place and watch my favorite show? What's it called? It's called Crusade. And scene. This week, Valerie and Frank also watched Ruling from the Tomb, which is JMS episode 10. <laughs> it's broadcast episode 6, and it's on disc 2 on the DVD box set. It was written by Peter David, who not only has two names, but is also an acclaimed, kind of mediocre, in my opinion, Star Trek book writer. Um, Whoa. I don't like a lot of his Star Trek books. That's fine. He's, he's cashing checks, but I can say mean things about nice people. It's fine. He will be all right. A guy on a podcast said Peter David's mediocre, and that's valid. You're really, really drawing a line in the sand over Peter David. I want to fight Peter David. I've never David. heard no. you so vehemently malign someone. I really didn't vehemently malign anyone, but, I mean, he also wrote a lot of comics. He wrote, like, uh, X-Factor in the early 90s. You know X-Factor. Okay, yeah, X-Factor. Pete David. Yeah. This it's felt like an X-Factor comic. It's anathema to me. The way you're talking. You're talking to me. Um, it was directed by John Copeland. It aired the 14th of July, 1999, and it takes place from Sunday, June 15th to Monday, June 16th. Of 2267. It's a long weekend on this Mars base. Uh-huh, yeah. John, tell me what happened in Ruling from the Tomb. I certainly will. The threat of plague that hangs over Earth is God's will to the sacred Omega Doomsday cult. The Omegans try to speed up Judgment Day by planting a bomb at an anti-plague action conference. Alan, what did you think of Ruling from the Tomb? Action conference is a really good <laughs> pair of words. Uh-huh. Hi, guys. Welcome to yeah. the action conference where we talk really loudly. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think we should do? We should stop fighting. <laughs> it's not really cool. action so much as it is inaction, but... <laughs> we'll allow it. We'll allow it this one time. Um, yeah, Ruling from the Tomb, I think, is a good one. Uh, I like that... People move around a lot. There's some action. You got a cool villain. You got a lot oh, of character moments. I would argue this episode's almost bloated with character moments. Mm, okay. Which I'm Ten fine more. with. I mean, we're all, we're usually into that kind of thing. So I, I can stay consistent and say, like, yeah, the, all of the scenes in the bar in this episode rule. They're all just, like, really goofy and fun. And, and like, why not just have people? Yeah, if out. it were to be bloated, would it be bloated with character moments rather than uh dumb stuff yeah plot ew plot yeah. gross plot. um weird continuity thing lockley oh what did you think of the episode by the way i'm sorry you know i liked it my experience with the first one was whoa this is really good as an episode of crusade my experience with this one was whoa this is middling this is mediocre the main plot is boring to me yeah but I love that Max is getting some time to dance. And even though Gideon and Lockley is the most rote characterization of a man and a woman, I also enjoyed seeing them interact. Yeah, they're charming. They're really charming, the two of them. Yeah. It seems like they're meeting again for the first time in this. Um, it wasn't It wasn't clear to me, yeah. Because Lockley is getting yelled at by one of her coworkers or employees or whatever about like the timing and planning of the conference 
Gideon's behind her and he's like, I was told to meet you. And she's like, ah, yes, Matthew Gideon from the Excalibur. Suggesting that she either read his file or she's like, oh, Matthew Gideon, that guy who, like, I helped save his whole ship uh, a couple months ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the timeline on this is weird. Um, and she brings this this like Babylon 5 mood back to to Crusade that you just don't see. In, uh, you didn't see it in her first appearance. Uh, you saw a little bit of it with Franklin, but now you really get, you get, uh, Lockley being like, yeah, I mean, we have security guards, all the different places, and I promise you all of the representatives will be perfectly safe. And then smash cut to one of the representatives is in a corner and he gets brutally shanked in the stomach by a random man. And Uh if I didn't expect the guy to be like, uh, a dream given form. <laughs> a five that five million tons of steel floating in space all alone in the night. It failed. It failed. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, that's that was how I felt going into that, because that's such a common like yeah. Babylon 5 thing is like, it'll be fine, right? No, no, it won't. Another weird continuity thing with regard to um Each Night I Dream of Home. Is that what it's called? I believe so. Crushed it. Uh, is at one point Lockley's like, these are the orders of Dr. Stephen Franklin from Earth or something. And it's like, we know who he is. We met him, we in, met this, him. in this show. Yeah, so you don't have to say his name like that. So I think, yeah, the, the, my here's my headcanon. My headcanon is that Lockley was never on uh, the Excalibur in that episode. That doesn't exist. It's fiction, you're saying? It's fiction, yeah. You made it up. Just cut it out. Because, I mean, who... Only Gideon talks to her, so maybe he's just imagining her. And maybe, oh God, how weird is that then for him to at the end of the episode to be like, Matheson, we need to go to Babylon 5. It'll be a great time. And Matheson's like, yeah, it would be. Uh-huh. He's just smiling. <laughs> and it's like, sure. Does this have anything to do with that time that you jumped us out of hyperspace to swing into an empty piece of air and say a ship was there? <laughs> this is related to is that. One of those, Gideon? Is, are we doing another one of those? Just very tired of his crap. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So they're they're like you said their relationship is kind of the crux of the like unnecessary drink every time it gets unnecessarily horny. Mm-hmm. Um. Really powerful. Uh. Like kinky energy between these two because similar to like sh- not not Sheridan Delenn definitely not but just like even Sheridan and Lockley had scenes <laughs> where it's like you're both captains you've both been in leadership roles and you don't know how to say yes to someone else. That's your whole mm-hmm. deal and it's a very like dominating and submissive kind of relationship or but it's like two dominating pe- personalities clashing uh mm-hmm. for most of this episode it feels like gideon is just completely rehashing that um in a way that you could kind of in, in, a, in a moment that kind of feels like it, it would be subversive if the show was more clever he she asks him uh like who are his here what's who's his hero what's his idol and mm-hmm. he's like oh uh john sheridan to which I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, like the, my brain just triggered seasons two through five of Babylon 5 to play in my head all at yeah. once. When you hear Gideon say a name of a Babylon 5 character, it's really jarring. Exactly. Um, and he's like, yeah, I really respect him. I think he's great. He's like a really good example of a captain, someone who went from military to uh, to leadership. Like he's really awesome. And she's like, yeah, 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 he's really cool. Um, and then he's like, oh, were you ever under him? <laughs> huh? Huh? I would never. What? I brought. Sp- I have a specific pair of uh, like fuzzy, 
fuzzy handcuffs just for when I hang out with Sheridan. <laughs> he never lets me. I'm never under him. Um, and he's like, no, did you serve under him? And she's like, oh, yeah, yes, yes, that's what you meant. Yes, hi, I'm Lockley. <laughs> <laughs> it's very goofy and very corny, but I I do enjoy it. Um, I it think... was cute. Yeah, it was it was really cheesy, but I, I thought it was funny. Yeah, ton, tons of back and forth between them. Uh, she at one point yells at him and she says, you know what you are? And he's like, ruggedly handsome. <laughs> Shut up, Gideon. <laughs> Just kiss her already, you big weird loser. Um, He's worrying. Matheson is like, hey, your stress is about this girl, isn't it? And then <laughs> this is my favorite. Uh, Matheson's like, yeah, you're stressed about Lockley. And then Gideon goes, what did you, ha, huh, you read my mind. Matheson's like, no, 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 I didn't, no, I'm, that's illegal, no. <laughs> He's like, it's a saying. No, it's a figure of speech, chill out. It's good. <laughs> that was really funny. She gives him a report of the investigation, and then he's like, uh, you know, thank you for the report of the investigation. And at first I thought that they were like, lying about something i think they were because they were talking about the religious extremist guy but they just said that it was like about oh we don't know anything so far i don't really know yeah i'm not sure the moment you're talking about yeah they're just in front of matheson it's when they she meets matheson for the first time and he goes like oh we're in front of one of my juniors so don't make nasty jokes about my penis please she's like okay (laughs) weird small dick man he's like no I'm roasted. I've been roasted on the group chat. <laughs> group chat name <laughs> changed group to chat small dick called man. Life. <laughs> uh, in another power play move, he invites her to dinner. He's like, "We clearly have ended up on the wrong foot fifty-seven times. Let me take you out to dinner." And she's like, <laughs> "He's like dinner seven o'clock in the restaurant." She's like, "Dinner ten o'clock my quarters." Whoa. <laughs> well, he says he says his quarters, and she says, "No." Oh, okay. My okay. So she's like, no, actually, we come to my room. Yeah. I, I borrowed Garibaldi's Daffy Duck poster and put it above my bed. And that <laughs> it gets is the guy. erotic. It's super erotic. The most yeah. sex in a bed happened in Garibaldi's bed. So, I mean, or in those no, like the, horizontal. Oh, the most sex bed. in a bed. I was going to say Lita and uh, and uh, freaking what's his Garth or whatever his name was. <laughs> but that wasn't a bed. Yeah, Garth. What was his name? Uh, Gary... Gary. I, I can vividly see his face. <laughs> I can a hundred percent see his face. His like weird his like large nose. Yeah, his name's like Brenton or Arthur <laughs> or something. <laughs> you are <laughs> the best. You have so good at like random fake names. What's his name? It's oh like my god. Jargo. What is his name? Dude, it's definitely Jargo. It's like It's Byron. <laughs> Byron. <laughs> Brenton was close. Brenton, hello, Brenton. Brenton was not too far. We, from Byron. I'm gonna rain. I'm gonna rain this podcast in if it kills me. Manila. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, 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 get your hands on the reins. So they flirt a bunch. They talk about how they should kiss, and then at the end of the episode, he says, "Luckily, you were right." And she's like, "Do you believe in a supreme being?" And uh, he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> I mean, Sheridan. Sheridan was there. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty freaking supreme. Huh? He like died, dude. Uh, no, he doesn't actually say that. He says, Captain, I have five years to cure the Drock Plague. I'll get back to you to that, with that question in five years and one day. Basically saying, like, if I can cure this, then God exists. Mm-hmm. And he is me. Yeah. Lots of religion talk God. in this episode. Um, because... Yeah. yeah, what's up? Oh, I, I was just gonna... Just in case we don't ever see Lockley again, 
Yeah. There's a there's a very real chance that this is this is curtains for Lockley, at least oh. in the Crusade oh. episodes. Do we? What do we think about Lockley Gideon? Would that have been fine? It just feels like they're retreading Lockley and Sheridan. Like it feels like what that should have been. Do you think they should have? You think they should have made out these two? No, in you're saying that Lockley and Sheridan should have made out. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying maybe if he didn't have Delenn, then this would have made this would have been like the dynamic is exactly the same. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, it feels that way. It just feels so basic. It is deeply funny. To, it, I mean, yeah, he doesn't write relationships that well. Um, but it is deeply funny to me. Well, that, this is Peter David. That's what I'm saying. I I know it's oh, Peter David. Oh, drag him! <laughs> Hi, drag yes, police. Him. I'd like to report a murder. <laughs> his, his name? He's got two of them. He's got two. Here's the first which, one, Peter. Which one do you want? Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, it is really bonkers to me that um, at one point he, she's like, he's like, oh, were you ever like in, romantically involved with anyone? And she's like, yeah, John Sheridan. He and he's like, <laughs> oh, you got me. Like it took her the whole show to say that one time on Babylon Five, and here she's just like, yeah, dude, of course we were married. It's fine. <laughs> what? Just yeah. That I will never not think that whole relationship situation is weird. Um, that they were married. Yep. It's still weird. And he's like, yeah, come lead my ship and then take it over when I leave to go become God. It's still weird. When she when she says it to Gideon here, uh, for a moment I was like, no, you weren't. No, <laughs> now you're lying. <laughs> what do you mean? You were married to John Sheridan. <laughs> um, early in the episode, we're introduced to our villain, uh, whose name apparently is Andre, uh, and he's flirting with Dr. Chambers with the worst pickup what line of all time. What pickup line? It was like... Hey, knock, knock. Let me kiss you. <laughs> it was like that bad. It was that bad. No, he also said, who are you waiting for? And then she's like, oh, and he's like, oh, good. Oh, I remember. And she's like, what? And he's like, never mind. You wouldn't get it. You're not as littered as me. He doesn't literally say you wouldn't get it, <laughs> but he just moves beyond it. Cause it's like, she didn't get it, but you, you failed horribly. Yeah. He was like a bad attempt at a joke. Yeah. Which is correct. Uh, they find the guy that got stabbed. They ask why uh, that guy died. This funny french dude is like oh why must good people die i'm so sad about this um we learn that he is speaking to a voice in his head that he believes to be jean d'arc from you know french history uh the woman <laughs> yeah, from the real world from real life she thought that god was speaking to her so she went like and did a bunch of stuff and then was killed uh uh by the church i she, believe uh she based her name, funnily enough, off of the uh, TV series Joan of Arcadia. She yeah, was inspired by that's that. That's true, actually. Yeah. God, man, what a what a good pilot that would be. But, well, I, you're the you're the coward who says that we can't do it. Did I say that? Yeah, you said no Joan of Arcadia, no Ghost Whisperer. I refuse. I ban them. When did I say that? You said it just now. Oh. No, we'll do it. I want to like tuck you in and let you go to bed, dude. This energy is... <laughs> I can't contain yeah, it. Yeah, I've, I've got pure chaos energy It's right amazing. Now. You picked up the all seven chaos emeralds and you're like, chaos control! <laughs> and you <laughs> stop time. It's crazy. <laughs> I wish I could have some chaos control, huh? Oh. <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm trying to think of any of the other French... Oh, oh okay. The, some fr- funny stuff happens with this French dude. Um, He... Is listening yeah, to Joan of Arc. He tries to do a mass murder. He yeah. tries to do a murder. He pulls out a bomb that literally 
Deadass says 666 on it because did you get it? This oh, of our religion. It's a ticking clock that looks like it's out of 24 and this is 2267. <laughs> he just presses it and clock. the bomb technology since yeah. then. Why? Yeah, why? That's such a I mean, that's because of TV writing, but I, like, why don't bombs I, I, work I li- better? I literally thought of this just now. About how much it bothers me that the bomb just looked like any old TV bomb. It looked like freaking MacGruber. Right. How many MacGruber t- like TV bombs have been on Babylon Five though? Like so many, and they're all like this. No. What? Name me one other time that we've seen a bomb that looks like this. The time the Sheridan put the thingy up his ass. Yeah, that was when there was a bomb. But did the bomb look as dumb as this bomb? I guess not as specifically dumb as this bomb. Fair enough. Um, he's afraid of being a martyr. The voice in his head is like, "No, do it. You'll be cool. Everyone will like you." And she's like. I was a martyr, you know, me, Joan of Arc. And he's like, okay, Jean, sounds good, man, mon ami. Um, uh, he gets into the, the conference. He begins the countdown. Everything's freaking out. In the background of the uh, the Trace and Darina plotline, which we'll talk about last, because it's my favorite one, we learned from uh-huh. Trace that he used to work with this man when he was studying to become a priest, and he knows him. And they do this dumb thing that I hate when they do it in police procedurals where they're like, look at the people and tell me which one was him. And he finds it. And he's like, that's the guy. He was always weird and talking about the end of the world. And it's like, why, when you were in school with this man, did you not tell anyone, like, this guy says a lot of weird stuff? Mm-hmm. Maybe someone should put, like, a tracker. Not like a tracker on him, but, like, maybe someone should keep an eye on this boy. Um. I also just as a as a side note really appreciate that and this is this thing in Babylon 5 as well the bombers tend to be white men um mm-hmm. and like this is like specifically a religious suicide bomber who is a white man so like I don't know I'm not going to say like finally the representation of course not <laughs> I wouldn't dare I wouldn't dare say that earnestly but like it matters to me that like for once I'm seeing a show where like the bad guy is not a brown dude. That feels that feels good, kind of. <laughs> um, but I digress. Yeah. Gideon spots sure. the guy in the crowd. What's up? Oh, no, 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 I'm yeah. Um, you can keep going. Sorry, I, I just I, once I get into plot stuff, I just stumble into it and I can't be stopped. Truly, you have to like scream at me to stop me. I don't want to stop you. Good. Uh, Gideon comes up with a brilliant plan. He's like, hey, well, it's it's kind of a bummer because he's. <laughs> He like Chambers is talking about all like I'm really happy for this opportunity and like I've done all this research and I think that we're gonna find a cure for the plague and he's like all right anyways anyways I'm gonna let you finish but <laughs> yeah but this guy had the best rap album of all time and actually Beyonce, we don't have Beyonce's gonna kill me within the next five years <laughs> that's that's goals honestly yeah. uh he's like yeah instead of five years we have a couple months. Um, the world is doomed. Sorry, hate to hear that. I know. Go, don't even, don't go talk to your families. Just go run away. Tell people of other races what happened to the Earthlings, and repopulate if you want. Deuces. Everyone freaks out, and then in a just a, re- I think a truly really smart moment, uh, the bomber goes back to his hideout with his like uh, followers, and he's like, guys, they figured it out. We don't have to do anything. That we won. As they're like packing, I love this part where he's like, "Guys, pack up the weapons. We're gonna need them for something else. I don't know what it is, but we're martyr people and we're religious fanatics, so we need bombs, you know, just in case." Right, right, right. Um, they are ambushed by Lockley. Uh, I almost said Sheridan, Lockley, Gideon, and company. Um, 
who shoot all of them to death because they're cops. Uh, and then he's like, oh, it was John Dark. And when I was saying earlier that I'm really glad they didn't like explicitly say a thing, it was here where we don't learn that like the voice in his head was an alien or like some cosmic manipulation. Yeah. <clears throat> right. It isn't really answered. It's just like this guy is maybe that maybe he was just thinking this. Maybe he's hallucinating. Maybe it's real. Uh, yeah, maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's May. Maybe it's Maybelline. That the fact that Gideon just gets up on the stage and does that is something that uh, no other captain would do on on B five. <laughs> Sheridan would never do that. He would have just shot someone. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But Gideon just strides up there and just tells a bold faced lie. Uh, Drops little chaos into the into the water. I mean, that's why I've got this energy because I'm inspired by Matthew Gideon. Matthew Gideon, yeah, he's an agent of chaos, and he's just like the world's over. Bye. <laughs> it's just so. Just Matthew just... Gideon's kind of like uh, Two Face, where somewhere he's got a coin and he's flipping a coin between order and chaos every every given action that he takes. Uh huh. But the but the secret is that the order side was burnt, and so they're both chaos sides. And so he flips it, he gets chaos, and he's like, oh, okay, I'll just end the world for these people. <laughs> yeah, I'll just do some goofy shit. And then peace, and I'll shoot a guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, he admits that Lockley was right. They have a nice moment. And finally, I can really talk about this plot in isolation because it's so self-contained and so fun and good. Uh, it only wraps back around when these people are all at the end talking about religion. We've got Max Eilerson, the goat, the king himself. We've got Doreen Nafil, the queen herself, the woman who hates testosterone, the woman who, according to drunk Max Eilerson, can survive a sea of testosterone thanks to her flotation devices. Like, hmm. he really did <laughs> say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Man. And then we've got Trace, who, to me, radiates Warren Keffer power. He's got that energy. Yep. He's got that. That's, He's got big Keffer energy. Because it does feel like, oh, Keffer. dude, it's Trace. We love, yeah, Trace. Trace, that's our guy. Yeah, yeah I love Trace. Kind of, kind of a combo Keffer, uh Corwin a little bit. Right, in the way that he's, he's half, like nice and defers to people. Yeah, he's halfway between a Keffer and a Corwin. A Kefwin, if you will. And I will. I want you to. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Max used to be from Mars, so at first he gets to be very arrogant and be like, you know, Jarena, I... Uh, I used to get robbed here all the time. <laughs> As he's saying that he gets robbed, he's like, wait, get back here. Uh, they play some really bad music as Darina chases down the bad guy and tackles them and retrieves his wallet because she's cooler than he is. Uh, I love that now that he's become arrogant because he's like, oh, Darina will just help me. He goes up to some like tough guys in a bar and like, like doesn't. Just starts take... picking fights. Starts picking fights and she's like, mm, I'm good. <laughs> You're taking this one on your own. He's like, no, I'm going to be killed. Um, and then he just makes best friends with everybody and drinks them under the table. It's awesome. Right. She's like, that's the way you make friends in a bar. It's uh, you mm-hmm. buy them a drink and they're friends for life. And it's successful. I want to yeah, have a drink. What would it take to make you my friend for life, Dorina? Yep. Yep. And she's like, <laughs> die. She doesn't say die. She's a trace. Come on. No, 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 no. Right. Um, they all start drinking. Her, her, him, and Trace just start getting sloshed throughout the episode. A lot of bad drunk acting here, bud. Is there good drunk acting though? Great question. 
I think the so. There is not. Did you see that movie with Mary Elizabeth Winstead? Smashed. I saw the movie with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Why? 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 Is it any anything like that? Yeah, basically the same idea. Okay. No, it's a it's a movie where her and uh, I think it's Aaron Paul are just like okay. Uh, a married couple whose bond is built on a mutual love of alcohol gets their relationship put to the test when the wife decides to get sober is the premise of Smash. Okay, all right. I'll watch it. That's 2012, baby. So that's peak Aaron Paul career time. Is that peak Aaron Paul career time? 2012, yes. Where did Breaking Bad get done? Oh, my God. That was my drunk acting. Was it good? Yes. The little bits of it I saw, that was the whole thing, was that they did good drunk acting. When did Breaking Bad get 2008 to 2013. So, yes, peak Breaking Bad. That's peak Breaking Bad time. Are you turning turning into the Hot Pockets guy from Red... Letter media. I'm doing. I'm doing drunk acting. That's my bit. I'm oh, it's good. Acting. It's good. Tell me to say something drunk, and I'll do it. Uh, four score and seven years ago, this country was built on a bed of lies. Oh, four score seven years ago. Mm-hmm. This country was built on a bed of lies. Oh, big facts from Drunk Magellan. That's proof that there's no good drunk acting. I just think the trick to good drunk acting is to act it subtly. Like, don't make a big deal out of it. That's what Max does. Yeah, I think he actually does a good job. There's a part later where they're dancing and stumbling that it's like, okay, you're getting very physical with it. But the acting part, like not physical but emotional, is great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think you shouldn't try to be drunk because then you're like... (laughs) Also, there's no good high acting either. Oh, certainly not. Certainly not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, so she's, uh, Dorina's talking about how she's like all this testosterone between Max and Trace asking me to do stuff is, is stupid. Um, like any good trio of drunk people, they're like, well, we should dance. Um, Trace is trying and failing to drink Max under the table uh, when he tells everybody that his secret that he was going to be a priest before he realized that religion was silly. He's like, Dorina, will you dance with me? And then she's like, no, screw you. And then Max is like, I got it. And then we finally get the famous dancing scene from the intro of this TV show. And it was fine. Yeah. It was great. I liked it. I wish there was there was more. I, I was expecting like more cinematography, you know? Yeah. I really wanted them to dance it up. Well, I, I think in a modern in a modern drama show, they would have really made a sequence out of it. Well, also because it's intercut with Trace getting his ass kicked outside, which so like they don't have time to just like focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's getting his his face beat up by like the religious guys. They're bo- boogieing down. Max is getting his groove on. I think what's funny is Darina, <laughs> uh, yeah, Carrie Dobro was like a, a professionally. Didn't you tell me this from the commentary? She's like a professionally trained yeah, dancer. She's a professional dancer, and she was like, I don't know how to dance, and she ends up killing it. I always like. I think I know it's corny and doesn't make sense, but I do like it when in like movies and stuff, someone's like, "I've never danced." And the other person's like, "I'll show you." And suddenly, they're both really good at dancing. Mm-hmm. It's like Max can't tell you like when he puts his hand out, you have to do five spins and then turn around. But you figured that out. <laughs> like, did you grok that? Or <laughs> yeah, like, that what? that doesn't just happen. Exactly. Um, it's not. It's not like kissing where you just figure. You just it out. figure it out by doing it. Yeah. Uh, they do their their scene. He gets beat up. Police come last second and just, again, lots of police just shooting men that they're not sure about. Just kill mm-hmm. the guys um, yes. because they're going to take him hostage. 
uh and this is we get and this is when the plots converge and then they're like trace works with the french guy used to work with the french guy oh my god we know who he is blah 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 kill the bad guy that's our episode then our final scene is the best scene of the episode just i really love people sitting around tables eating talking drinking uh politicking all of that delicious i love this Mm -hmm. stuff you know ted cruz today said uh oh no the impeachment's going on and um ted cruz says if you have the law bang on the you bang on the law if you have the rules you bang on the rules and if you don't have either you bang on the table and um i thought that was really good so thanks ted tables banging on tables 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 if you're gonna date us, that's the best way to date us is to reference Ted Cruz. Yeah, that's what that's what you bring up to us first to go on a date with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 dastardly man. Go ahead. They're at a table at the end, huh? Yeah, they talk about how saints and martyrs rule from the tomb. Why would we believe mm-hmm. religious figures if they all mm-hmm. die before anyone listens to them? Everyone that's thinks- a great. That's a great little aphorism. Yeah. I believe it's, I don't know if it's Max who says it. I forget who exactly says it. Maybe it's, Max says it, yeah. I forget who he's quoting, though. Right. Uh, they're all talking about religion. It ends up kind of landing on a more, I guess, cynical route. But it's one of those like where we all wish we could believe in this stuff. But there's so much evidence in the world that uh, it's hard to believe in religion right, right now. It's T.S. Right. Eliot. I was just looking at that. One man's lunatic is another man's saint or holy martyr. In the words of T.S. Eliot, saint and martyr rule from the tomb. Um, And then, yeah, Max is like, uh, we believe in all these people and we like hear them tell us, live good lives, be good to other people. And then we start wars over what that line actually means. And that's humanity in a nutshell. Yeah. And then Darina and Trace finally share a dance and we call that an episode. It's fun. It's entertaining. I like fun episodes like this. I could rewatch this one. It's eminently watchable. Yeah, it's got enough moments that you're like, okay, all right, this is this is sort of cute. This yeah. the banter here. It's, it's got... not the most consequential crusade episode, not the best one, but it's uh, not the worst either. Indeed. Indeed. Um, but that's what I got. Do you have any stray notes about from ruling from the tomb? I do not have any stray notes what i do have is nine more stray dialogue i'm just kidding <laughs> uh i what i do have is nine stray dogs bark 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 but i forgot how many barks i did but did you say but, but. <laughs> why is this dog saying but hi his name is brinkles and he can only instead of barking he says but would you <laughs> like to buy shribble his this one's name is shribble <laughs> Uh, Majel, please, please take me out of this. Make any get- sense when you cut that out of the final episode? Yeah, it really won't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, you're, um, you're 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 forcing my hand. Tell me what we're watching next week on Chat Salon Five. I will. So, hey, here's some some news. Oh, I'm pregnant. You're pregnant. I'm pregnant. Uh, it's gonna be a Brexit. So I don't know what I'm saying. Okay, Alan, and I do this thing where sometimes we replace B- P's with B's. So I said pregnant and made me think of Brexit, and it made me think it was funny that a don't baby explain would the joke at all. None of this. <laughs> okay, here's the news. We only have three episodes of Crusade left. Okay. I guess you don't care. I'm watching them with you. I want to know which ones we're watching next week. Okay. Next week we're watching 
the rules of the game, and Warzone. So first, the rules of the game is episode 7 in broadcast order. It's on disc 2 of the DVDs. And the description is as follows. Lorca 7 may hold medical secrets useful to Earth if Gideon can gain access. He comes to Babylon (gasps) 5. Oh, okay. He comes to Babylon 5 to negotiate landing rights and runs headlong onto the self-righteous Lorcan's claim that Earthlings will taint their world. Ooh. All right. Ooh. I'm going to do it. Some more Lockley Gideon smooching, maybe? Hopefully I forget that Babylon 5 is in this one. Just kidding. I'm, I'm going to sure edit this episode and then remember. Damn it. Well, but it'll still feel good. Okay. And then the second episode we're watching is Warzone, which in original broadcast order is episode... Where is it? One. <laughs> Finally, we're starting Crusade. <laughs> it's on disc one. Okay. And uh, the synopsis is as follows. Captain Matthew Gideon assembles the crew that will be with him on the experimental starship Excalibur. Their mission, explore the reaches of space to find a cure for the deadly Drock virus that will overrun Earth in five years. Can't... Warzone is chronologically the first episode of Crusade, although it was 8th produced and 12th aired. This episode was written by JMS and Janet Greek. It was made at the behest of TNT rather than any plans that JMS had in motion. So, like, did he not even want to make this one? And they just made it because they were like, we need a pilot? seems like it yeah so then is him putting it literally second to last just another middle finger <laughs> like you don't get a pilot I'm until not, you're done i'm not sure because what if it's framed as a flashback it's fine exactly yeah but i don't know if it's framed that way or not or if we'll it's like out. man what a wacky adventure we've had anyways yeah what a long strange trip it's i'm been. positive the last episode is gonna feel so unsatisfying <laughs> i'm so sure now certainly the case yeah but yeah we'll get to watch the crew get assembled which is really fun fabulous well magellan uh i'm gonna take it to the plug zone if that's all right with you can i do it can- yes okay thank you yes you're welcome it's plug zone time. We're going to plug the podcast plugs. And if you want to know what the plugs are, this is the time to listen to the show. And if you're just tuning in, welcome. <laughs> I'm glad that you skipped the first hour or so, a little longer, hour and a half, because uh, this is where the real podcast begins. If you'd like to get in contact with us, there are a couple ways to do that. You can reach out to us at chatspod at gmail.com or message us on Twitter or tweet at us on Twitter as well or just follow us on Twitter at chatspod. Both of those are spelled C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D. Those are places to send your questions, comments, concerns, feedback, gifts, pictures of your daughter stacking things on her toilet thing, uh, like last week Stefan's email, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of those sorts of things are welcome. Here's something that I always forget to mention when I do this off the dome, but is really helpful to us. Go ahead, rate us on iTunes, everybody, because that's how people see stuff. That's how things show up, and it makes us look like a better podcast when we've got reviews on iTunes. Uh, Alan is typing something into edits. Cut the whole thing, especially the readings. Uh, stop reading this oh okay i will i will 
Maybe you could put those at the end of the episode as a bonus. Maybe you should drive, Magellan. Uh, yeah, rate us on iTunes and give us five stars. It helps people find the show. It helps us feel good about the show. It helps you feel good about the show. It helps good feel good about being good. And then, of course, we would greatly, greatly appreciate if you supported us on patreon.com patreon.com slash chats pod there are three different levels at which you can back us on patreon you can back us at a dollar a month which gets you access to movie commentaries on a monthly basis uh we just released about at this point a week and a half ago our january commentary kangaroo jack if you like disastrous chaos energy (laughs) Yeah, it feels like this energy for sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, And then in the month of February, you know, for the sake of love, we're going to be doing Romeo plus Juliet. So uh, you can check that out as well. For $3 a month, you can get access to the bi-weekly hangout show Chats Nights. And for $5 a month, you can get that plus access to the uh, off-week bi-weekly pilot chats where we pilot new shows that we might want to cover for chats uh so check all that stuff out we work hard on our bonus content and uh, we hope that you enjoy it alan yes you having fun in the doc <laughs> you're he's making patreon.com slash chats pod progressively larger in font size uh now it's fixed i just want to kind of make it progressively larger in people's minds so thank you for naming it again what is it again john hmm? the website patreon.com slash chatspot thank you you're welcome uh alan do you have a chat some for this week a little snack for us to snack on between now and next time what no i don't have one okay wait do you actually want one yep okay if i must well i uh was actually recommended myself a podcast by a friend uh yesterday uh as of this recording it's an episode of the very very popular this american life podcast it's from NPR and PRX and all that. Everyone knows This American Life. Um, they did a rerun of an episode that they aired last year. So right now it's This American Life episode 667. I would Whoa. hope that someday chats can have that many episodes. Uh, we and- don't. We do. No, that's fair. Just that's fiction. We're actually gonna. We're getting close to our 200th uh, chats episode. Believe it or not. We should probably stop, right? Yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> The episode 667 is called Wartime Radio, and basically it's two different stories about people using podcasts and radio for uh, sort of, I'm trying to think of the connecting thread. It's sort of like therapeutic or like helping in like um, philanthropic ways. Um, So the first Mm -hmm. act is about a podcast hosted initially by two uh, recovering drug addicts. Um, talking about drug addiction and opioid addiction in a very earnest and like a way focused on comedy. Like they talk about how they used to uh, call it a comedy podcast, but they changed it to self-help so that it would help them get better numbers. Um, Hmm. And that story gets very sad and goes a lot of places, but it's really heartfelt. And then the second half uh, is about a person who ran a radio station in Syria in the, in the currently military occupied regime uh, part of Syria. uh, And he, would basically try to like do anti-regime propaganda through his funny like music radio station 
and the government would crack down on that and it's this whole like sad political situation both of these are really sad but i think it's really important not only as a podcaster to talk about and think about like what this medium can do for people but uh kind of just see what the rest of the world is doing with it too you know because we have such a specific uh position and privilege as podcasters uh you know living where we do in the time that we do and there are people doing the same stuff and doing a lot of really important things with it so i definitely um that this american life episode will will teach you a lot about that so check it out that sounds wonderful what about you magellan i have mm, two Whoa. chatsoms Whoa. two chatsoms uh the first both of these are things that i experienced simultaneously which is why i want to chat some both of them uh the first is that yesterday i received in the uh in the mail a package oh something that i ordered apocalypse box the internet yeah it's my very own apocalypse box uh is a piece of furniture i got this like coat rack shoe rack thing uh situation piece for my room because my room is a nightmare mess and i'm trying to contain the mess confirm. Uh, but you're in it so that makes it less of a mess oh it makes it more of a mess okay uh in the, in a good way oh. and i got this thing and i put it together myself you know and it's like adult legos kind of assembling furniture uh, at least the ones that come with the instructions and all the pieces inside that you need so it was a really nice therapeutic experience i'd recommend if you uh if you've got a mess and there's like a piece that you think could kind of serve as a gravity well that sucks in and organizes stuff and it's a cup fun couple hours to put it together you should definitely do that and then the other thing that i'm chatsming is that while i was doing that lo and behold what was on the television first it's jeopardy was crusade <laughs> No, it wasn't Jeopardy, uh, believe it or not. First, it was Crusade. When Crusade was done, I uh, was watching something that I was uh, turned on to recently. I'd heard of before, but friend, a friend of mine recently discovered it, and she started watching it. And then she's like, oh, my God, this is the funniest thing in the world. you got to watch it. And you can catch it on Netflix. It's uh, Billy Eichner's show, Billy on the Street. Yes, dude. Billy on the Street is hilarious. Yes, dude. Oh my god, it's funny. I didn't know there was a version on Netflix, dude. I was watching that back on YouTube. Like it's those are on Netflix. They just now. put those on Netflix and made them look nice. And then there are new, I think there are new for Netflix episodes, maybe. Explain to the people who Billy Eichner is and what the premise of the show is. So Billy on the Street is uh essentially Billy Eichner, who's a comedian. I don't know what his native format is, I'm guessing stand up comedy um and maybe improv um he goes around the streets of new york with a microphone and a camera crew and he does a game show on the sidewalk that it has this sort of like whoa gotcha yelling at you kind of weirdly obsessed with pop culture and abrasive but like charming and nice at the same time mm-hmm. and uh he just sort of shouts questions at people and there are segments that range from like, uh, you know, just yelling at people like name three white people huh. or like asking uh, <laughs> asking a celebrity to tell him 10 things about Joseph Gordon-Levitt or things like that. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, is this... Uh, 
a pasta or a lyric from this one song or, you know, something like that to full bigger quiz segments where he's asking multiple choice questions. And, uh, it's just a lot of fun bits. One of my favorite bits is that he, he, I've seen it a couple times. He'll have someone draw a celebrity on a, on an easel and then say like, give them a minute to draw it and berate them while they're drawing it. And then say like, okay, now we're going to grab this drawing and grab you and run through the streets of New York uh, and demand that people guess who the celebrity is. And if anybody gets it right, then you get $50. Oh. Um, and like New York, New Yorkers are so weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> like there's so, there's so, so many strange interactions. One of my favorites was he was asking this guy, this like just kind of older black guy on the sidewalk who's like a, you know, I don't know. He's just one of these guys that you see around who's like laid back and, and owning the sidewalk. Yeah. And he's probably lived there for a million years. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Billy Eichner's like, who do you like more, Meryl Streep or Glenn Close? And the guy very, very decisively is like Glenn Close. <laughs> Like Meryl Streep is old news. Glenn Close, I love her. She's great. And they get into this big argument about uh, whether Meryl Streep or Glenn Close is better. It's so funny. And the guy just keeps insisting that he likes Glenn Close more. Oh, man. There's so many magical moments like that. I, I really highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I like it more when he goes to like strangers than he does like the celebrity stuff. Because um, he does yeah, do same. what? No, I do too. Yeah, because the celebrity stuff is like always, it always has this air of like artificiality, but definitely even the first time I visited New York when I was like, I don't understand why so many shows that are like centered around New York have like people running up to strangers. And then suddenly when I went there, I was like, I want to bother every stranger and ask them what their whole life story is. And like he gets to do it in a really funny, like non like shitty way. You know, it's just like comedy Mm -hmm. and, and like he leaves quickly enough that no one's like that bothered, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of stuff like this where the whole point is like, how far can we bother this person before they like are actually mad at us? And yeah. he doesn't cross that line usually. Yeah, it's it's the thing that I like about it is like he's always trying to make himself the weird one. Yeah, and then just sometimes you, you just can't be weirder than some people. Right. <laughs> he he's like trying so hard to be bizarre but then yeah yeah so he's he's not trying to catch people or make fun of them i mean he will make fun of them but he makes fun of them to their face in a way that they're like either in on it or if they're not it's kind of on them for missing it (laughs) so um i i like the way that he does it exactly big fan yeah yeah good stuff magellan thank you as always for being the rock to my hard place and yeah and do you have any special uh, outro music for us, perhaps? Uh, I do. Thank you for reminding me, folks. I'm gonna I'm gonna end this episode by saying thank you so much for listening to Chats on Five, and then I'm gonna say peace. And then what you're gonna hear is the credits music for uh, uh, "Ruling from the Tomb," which is the most bonkers piece of composed music that I've ever it's heard a, it's for my Chats. New favorite song. This is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Thank you for listening. Peace. Good night.